0: Briskcomb, and he is the CEO of strategic wealth is that correct Correct. yeah and and uh, we're gonna have a great conversation today because this podcast is about talking with and speaking to high achievers and what is their relationship with risk taking uh, and the reason why we do have this conversation is because we have a lot of companies these big corporations out there that have leaders and one of the key factors in, in being effective risk managers and leaders is that the human factor is taken into consideration so what better way to do that than to actually speak to high achievers who have taken uh, taken risk and find out what does that human factor mean how do they carry that from the work they do personally into corporations or other big companies. So we're gonna really get to the human side of risk taking and that relationship with business. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Sean. Sure, yeah,
1: no, I love that idea of, uh, you know, how how the emotional side drives us to take certain risks or not take risks, depending on the circumstance. I, you know, my backstory is, um, It's kind of unique. I was a diver. I trained for the Olympic team, which diving in and of itself, diving from the the high 10 meter platform, it's 33 feet up in the air. That is a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk associated with that. In fact, you know, I've got the scars to to prove it. When I was eight years old, when I first started out in the sport, I, um, you know, wasn't thinking. It was it was the last dive of practice. It was a Friday afternoon. I was excited to go home and play, and I just wanted to get out of practice. And without thinking of the risk, I ran to the end of the board, turned around, and did my last dive, and ended up scalping myself. Hit the diving board, got seventeen stitches, and uh, you know what's funny is most people that would be the end of their career. They would be done. But, That's true. Um, yeah, but my mentality was that diving, the sport of diving that I, that I grew to love, uh, the nature of the sport was that if you were afraid to do a belly flop or smack, as we call it, smack on the surface of the water or hit the diving board, that that was about the same as a football player that was afraid to tackle. And so as risky as the sport may seem, it was it was very calculated. There was a lot of thought that went into the training and and what we did on a daily basis to avoid or minimize r- that risk of injury. So, so, Sean,
0: let me ask you the question. That's a fascinating it, story. But I I'm one that. I can't really believe that you just woke up one day and decided to jump off a diving (laughs) board. So I'm curious to know where did that, was that something that was uh, something your family did or was it someone uh, from your uh, uncles or someone in your family that did it before in previous generations? Where did that desire first to dive come from? Because I think that plays a key role in giving you the ability to just jump off.
1: Yeah, there's, it takes a little bit of crazy to do the sport <laughs> of diving, but yeah, m- no, my, my grandfather dove way back in the day when oh, okay. they had wooden diving boards with rope wrapped around the end. Mm-hmm. Now they have aluminum flexible, they call them Duraflex diving boards that are a composite between aluminum and fiberglass. Um, so they're a lot more flexible, there's a lot more jump, and you get a lot more height out of them. But, I didn't know my grandfather was a diver until much later is Um, that right yeah it was never it wasn't something that just was part of the family i was you know i grew up as you know middle middle child in in a family where i had a younger brother older sister and uh i was always trying to get the attention and so i was always doing crazy stuff i would you know at a very young age i jumped off a pile of logs tried to do a dive and landed on my head mm-hmm. in the backyard. Had to get rushed to the hospital. You know, wow. um, always doing things with my body. I, I so my mom just naturally said, you know, we gotta channel this this crazy energy that this kid has, and she put me in gymnastics at a very young age. Uh, grew up in California near mm-hmm. Stanford University, Palo Alto area. So yeah. we were very fortunate that the the coaches that I had starting out were the college coaches at Stanford University and so at a very young age I was training in gymnastics with all of the college gymnasts and the coach Sadao Hamada was also the Olympic coach so just elite elite level of coaching and tutelage and uh You know, got to learn that skill set of flipping and twisting and figuring out that spatial awareness with your body at a very, very young age.
0: That is extremely impressive, (laughs) extremely impressive. So did you know that your grandfather was a diver before all of those other incidents happened?
1: I didn't. You had no idea no so my grandfather i grew up in a in a unique family my, my grandfather was greek came from greece immigrated from greece mm-hmm. and he was an artist he was a commercial artist very famous back in the 30s and 40s and 50s um, in fact a lot of his work is still along the california coastline and you know he did a lot of those icons that you see in churches with the yes. with the you know little squares of, of color that he yeah. put together those icons are still up in the churches in, in Washington and California and Oregon uh, all along the coast. And he, his work was commissioned by a lot of um, you know, magazines like The New Yorker. The New Yorker used to take his, his artwork all the time and he would, uh, he would do the artwork for the advertisements in the magazines.
0: That is amazing. Yeah, well, so, this is already a, a enriching information that you're sharing. This really dropped a bomb on me in terms of hearing this. But you did say something that I think is key, and in, in terms of, did you have something to prove? Because you see, mm, you were the middle child. Did you have great something question. to prove? You you think?
1: I think I did. You know, I I grew up in a, you know, my, my mom was very strict. My dad was the easygoing one. And uh, mom was always the disciplinarian. And so I always think, you know, I grew up always wanting her approval. And so I think you're right. I think a lot of that has to do with the the direction I took in life. You know, even yeah. today, um, I find myself just focused on achievement and focused on always expanding and doing things better, you know, in all areas of life, I wanna be physically fit and in shape. I work out every day, I eat healthy. I wanna be spiritually connection, connected with a sense of purpose. And so I wake up every morning and I meditate and I pray and I journal and I'm focused on, you know, what I can do today to be better than I was yesterday. In business, I'm constantly learning and trying to expand my my base in either marketing systems or sales, mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to be better than I was yesterday in business um, and and in relationships same thing you know I'm very focused on not just standing still and so
0: interesting not just standing still so those are all high and impressive goals so have you ever fallen short in any of those things that you want to every single
1: day every day tell us about the experience where
0: (laughs) that has happened and to the point where it, it almost made you decide not to dive
1: Yeah. So, you know, the ultimate goal for any athlete, I think, is, uh, you know, we all have this image of competing for the USA, making the Olympic team, winning a gold medal, and then sailing off into the sunset and always having the, you know, the adulation of the crowd and and the feedback and the, you know, the the sense of self-worth. Right. So,
0: let me ask you this. So, let me reframe the question. How did that the challenge of falling short of those things you talked about Mm
1: -hmm.
0: uh, prevent you or influence your decision to dive, not just into a physical pool, but dive into other things in your life, dive into relationships, dive into decisions, dive into taking a chance or an opportunity. Did that have any impact?
1: does i think a lot of it was the training the the mental training that we went through as a young age when i was 14 i left home and moved That's pretty down young. yeah i i went to mission viejo california and in, in southern california and i i trained for the olympic team with greg luganus and all of the olympians at the time and the olympic coach um i was on the u.s national team but you know Everybody wants to win every single competition. But when you're competing against Greg Louganis, that's a really, especially when he's 10 yeah. years older than you, that's a tall order. Yeah. And so every single day I would fall short. But I think that what, what I did was I took those, those uh, not losses, I wouldn't really consider them losses, but those lessons, mm-hmm. and I turned them into fuel that would drive my drive me forward and drive my um, just my training and my, you know, everything that I was doing in life.
0: Was so. it natural for you to change to convert that, you know, those disappointments into, you say into fuel? I mean, what's the intersection between that and, you know, making that transition?
1: Yeah, no, it's not. I don't think it's natural for anybody to, um, I don't think we wake up and, and say, you know, that, Falling short or not performing at our best, I don't think we just automatically flip that into um, fuel for the fire in, in going forward. I think that that's a skill that you learn through circumstance. For me, I remember it vividly though. It was after a competition we had at our home pool, and um, you know I had ended up like third third place in, in the the final results and. I was really frustrated and I I walked into the locker room and I'm throwing my stuff around and just acting like a little brat, right? And Luganus comes walking in and he sees me and he's like, whoa, stop. And he sits me down and he's like, what's going through your head right now? And I, you know, obviously was like, I was upset. I was frustrated. I was angry at myself. I was angry at the judges because you know, you got to blame somebody, right, Right. right. especially when you're younger. And he's like, stop. He's like, time out. The only person you have to be better than is yourself.
0: Yeah,
1: you you know, you don't you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You you owe it to yourself to become who you're supposed to be. And that growth and that that expansion is going to happen over time. And so the only competition you have is yourself. And so I learned that at a very young age and that that kind of kept things in perspective doesn't mean that I wasn't frustrated when I didn't win a competition or you know lose the opportunity to travel with the US national team to a, a competition in Australia or Russia or China or wherever the, the place was where we were competing but I always kept that in the back of my mind in the it, back
0: of your mind yeah. yeah
1: the only competition we have in life is ourselves
0: ourselves so the act of risk-taking I believe is transformational the point is to become someone different from who we are now. Do you agree or disagree with that?
1: I, I agree hundred percent. I, I feel like that's, um, that separates a lot of the, the, the amateurs from the professionals. You know, amateurs get stuck in that repetitive loop, what I call the karmic loop where, mm-hmm. you know, everything's going along great until something bad happens. Until we, we take a risk and we fail. And what happens is we start this downward spiral or this drift into the pit, which is this horrible place of self loathing and thinking that you failed, that you're a failure. And we start to play games with ourselves mentally. We start saying to ourselves, if I could only get back to where I was before. Right. You know, but the reality is, you don't want to just be where you were before. You want to become something better. You want to grow and expand and learn from that. Experience. learn from the loss, learn from the failure, learn from taking that risk. That's interesting. Reason- yeah.
0: No, I'm sorry. Yeah. But it, 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 it's a great segue until the next question uh, in terms of taking a risk. Is it something that's bigger than ourselves or is it a selfish act? Is it really about us like or that. is it about others?
1: I like that. Yeah. Where's our focus? Are we focused on... Ourselves and, and just satisfying our own selves. Yeah. Really now, ego is—is is that
0: what it is, or is this something more universal than that? And how uh, did it? How did the risks that you take change others?
1: That's a great question. So, yeah, again, I think it goes back to you know, amateurs believe it's all about themselves, but professionals realize there's a bigger cause, something bigger to strive for. Um, second part of this question was. Uh, what what was it again
0: in terms of is it a selfish act or does it change others? How has risk taken yeah. you taking your risk changed others? Yeah. So
1: I think initially it's probably self-centered okay. taking a risk, you know, for some kind of achievement or goal. But um, the result is never satisfying. You know, one of the things we do and this is this is a concept. This is a mental construct. It's called um, reference points. And there's a, there's a very famous uh, picture from just 2012 in the London Olympics. Um, there was a gymnast that was competed for the US and she ended up getting second place. She got a silver medal. And the award ceremony was during the closing ceremonies of the London Olympics. So she was caught up in the closing ceremonies. The entire stadium was packed. Over 100,000 people were there live, plus billions around the world were watching. And they gave the awards out, and she stood up on the on the podium, they put the silver medal around her neck, and she had this grimace. Everybody else was smiling. The gold medal winner was a grinning ear to ear, the bronze medal winner was grinning ear to ear, and she had a grimace. That photo went viral. I don't know wow. if you remember that situation. It sounds but- familiar. It does. What had had happened was they they ended up interviewing her and they said, what what was going on in your mind at the time? And she said, I was just so disappointed in myself that I didn't win. Well, if you ask psychologists and, and psychiatrists about that incident, what they'll tell you is that her reference point, and this happens with all of us, our reference points are always wrong. You know, if you win the silver medal in the Olympics, your reference point is gold. And so you feel defeated because you didn't win the gold medal. Right, right, By contrast, the bronze medal winner is ecstatic because in their mind, their reference point is I could have gotten fourth. I could have missed being on the stand altogether.
0: Wow. It's a whole different, two different sets of mindsets right there. Yes. Same so, event, same experience, two different points of view.
1: So to your point, as we go through and we take risks and we take on challenges, we've got to make sure that our reference point is correct. You know, if you fail at this one challenge, if you take the risk and it doesn't work out exactly how you wanted it to work out, your reference point shouldn't be that it it should have been 100% accurate or should have been 100% on point and you should have won. It should be that, hey, look how far ahead I am from where I came from.
0: And, From where yeah, exactly. I was and where I was before. That is a perfect uh, opportunity for us to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Sean Briscombe. Okay, Sean, welcome back to Flip This Risk podcast with Sean Briscombe. So, Sean, you were sharing with us some fascinating facts and information about who you are, how you grew up, some of the challenges that you faced, some of the disappointments that you had, and how you use that to fuel yourself to greater success. So now, I just want to talk about briefly, um, what are you doing now in your life?
1: Yeah. So everything that I did up till that point has gotten me to where I'm at today, and that's true for all of us, right? And so today, what I what I've done is I've you know I've used those skills that I learned as an athlete, as a competitive athlete, and I'm, I've taken those skill sets and I've, I've applied them to business. And now what I do is I'm in the financial services space, and I. I got to where i'm at you know there there were a couple of couple of good stories that that, uh kind of illustrate how i got to where i'm at today my wife and i got married um over 10 years ago and because of my diving background and always coaching other kids and helping other people in the sport i always wanted to be a dad i always thought that i'd be an awesome dad and so when my wife and i got married we we just wanted to start a family right away and we ended up getting pregnant um in the first year of marriage and we ended up losing our, our daughter, our first child, mm. and it, it killed us, it crushed us yeah. emotionally and mentally. We yeah. both kind of spiraled down into this this pit of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of that, we we ended up meeting some friends uh, through my wife's best friend, who these, these friends of ours were, um, they were going through the foster care certification program they had kids of their own they had three beautiful children of their own but they wanted to help other kids that, that were coming from really difficult places abuse neglect uh, trauma and so they were getting licensed and they approached us and they said hey why don't you do this with us why don't you join us in this licensing program and you never know maybe that's maybe that's how you guys are supposed to start your family um, we were really hesitant at the time, but we ended up going through the program. We got licensed and ended up taking on two little girls in the foster care system. Great. Uh, our first experience, and as soon as we took those girls into our home, I knew right away, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, now since then we've fostered 10 little girls, all girls for some reason. I have no idea That is fantastic,
0: (laughs) right. (laughs) Got something going on there. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we've adopted two. Uh, We ended up having one of our own through in vitro, through, Mm -hmm. my wife says, we had one through a test tube and we adopted two of our own. Um, These kids come from really traumatic places and it's just heartbreaking some of the stuff that they go through, but that has become, our life's work, and and so I realized that being in the financial services world, uh, I, w- I had an opportunity to make a lot of money helping other people to uh, protect and grow their wealth. But I I wanted something more. I wanted to figure out how do we take how do I take this business that I've got this this money generating machine this business and figure out a way that we can give back more and make more of an impact on these ch- on these kids' lives. Right. So I started talking to other friends of mine in the financial services arena and uh, one thing led to another and, and I was introduced to a law firm up in, in Dallas, Texas that uh, helped business owners and entrepreneurs and investors to create trusts and foundations. And they taught me a little known secret about the tax world. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but there in America, there are two different tax systems. There's one for the informed and one for the uninformed, and both are legal. There's right. one for the informed, which is the 1040 tax system that everybody knows and understands, and that's what your your CPA usually helps you to file the 1040 tax returns. Right. There's also the 1041 tax returns in the 1041 tax system. 1041 deals with estates and trusts and private foundations, and if you, if you make the decision to jump into the 1041 world, what you're doing is you're giving up ownership of your income and your assets and, and everything in your world. You're giving up ownership, personal ownership, and giving it away to your trust or to your foundation.
0: Now speaking and when you, of foundations, that you are the CEO of the KIND Foundation.
1: Yeah, so my wife and I created the KIND Foundation. That's our own private foundation that we use to help these kids to heal from life's hurts. That's our mission and purpose is to, to help provide resources and, and education and training and, and anything we can to foster care families and to kids that are going through foster care to, uh, to help them heal. You know a lot of these kids come from really really bad places um the girls that that we've fostered in the past have been uh, abandoned you know they've been neglected they've been you know malnourished um they've been abused sexually physically emotionally um and it's just heartbreaking to see what they go through and so um using these strategies and in this trust and foundation system using these services in the financial services arena what we're able to do, and, and this is amazing, this is was the big aha for me, is we're able to take our tax dollars and instead of writing a check and sending that money to Uncle Sam, we're able to keep those dollars and redirect them into our private foundation so that we can keep our tax dollars at every single level. At the local level, through property taxes, we get to keep our property taxes, we get to keep. Taxes at the city level, the county level, the state level, and the federal level in all areas and redirect that money into something that's going to make a bigger impact. And
0: That is fantastic. That's that's, an, that's amazing information. It's definitely information that I feel that a lot of us need to be educated on. And with that in mind, um, where can people find out more information about what you do?
1: Sure. So I... Um, I set up a site where i that's all I do now is because of our experience that my wife and I have gone through with foster care and, and setting this up and creating these trusts and creating this foundation and being able to to learn the rules of the game from a tax perspective, We—I this is all I do. I help business owners and entrepreneurs do the same thing to, to make a bigger impact and to give back more in a more meaningful way through these strategies. And so I've set up a site called the Purpose Driven Blueprint, and it's a .org. It's a charitable, charitable um, uh, endeavor. So all the money goes to our foundation, Kind Foundation, that we make there. But if you go to Purpose Driven Blueprint .org, uh, you can go through the training. You can see exactly how everything works. How, you know, the nuts and bolts of the tax system, the history behind it, how we got to this point in our country, and uh, and what what some of the wealthiest families in the world have done for generations. Families like, you know, the Rockefellers, the Kennedys, the Rothschilds, the Hiltons.
0: Right, a lot and, of, yeah, wealthy families also, for sure.
1: Even today, you know, Warren Buffett has what he calls the Giving Pledge, where he's he's pledged to give away ninety over 90% of his wealth to charity. What you don't know is that he's giving that that money and that wealth away to his own private foundation or to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is also a private foundation. You know, when, when Warren Buffett and Bill Gates met for the first time in 2000, Warren Buffett taught this system to Bill Gates. And six weeks later, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was established and Warren Buffett donated $34 billion to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And now well, that- here you
0: And now here you are in a position to help educate people on this. And, yes. right, and right before we wrap this up, I want to ask sure. you: What's the correlation between the diving and what you do now?
1: Um, wow, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about it in those terms. I think, I think that the, um, you know, I I always imagined myself, like I said, winning the gold medal in the Olympics, being on the Wheaties box, and then traveling the world, coaching and teaching. Uh, kids on how to set goals, how to, how to be disciplined, how to achieve everything in life that they want to achieve. And I think what I've been able to do is take that skill set and do that and, and be laser focused on these kids that are in the foster care community. You know, uh, that is we incredible. have, yeah, in Texas alone, we have over 30,000 kids that are in foster care. Now, imagine this, these kids, they grow up in the system. they they believe internally they believe that they have no value that they're worthless that nobody loves them nobody wants them and their life has no meaning no value
0: or or that they have fallen short and that's something that you can personally relate to in terms of you can look in their eyes and say you know what I was that same kid I had that same feeling and I was able to fuel my success by changing my mindset and then it's reflected in the work that you do here. So, Sean, listen, I want to thank you for actually being on our Flip This Risk podcast. I appreciate you being here and you're doing great work, and I really encourage you to continue to do that. And I want to thank everyone, actually, for listening in to our show today. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. is such an honor being a guest on your show. I think this is going to be something that really takes off. You've got a uh, a lot of really, really good information that you can serve people with. And so I'm excited for you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank everyone for listening. We'll check you next time on Flip This Risk podcast. I'm Dr. Karen Hardy.